This is Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. Possibly no orchestra today has prompted more hand-wringing and ambivalence than the Vienna Philharmonic. The orchestra is recognized all over the world for a very specific sound that has changed very little over the decades, and a playing style that has been passed down from generation to generation. But critics charge that it's just that keep-it-in-the-family philosophy that may explain why there are so few women and virtually no minorities in the orchestra. In addition, the Vienna Philharmonic is finally coming to terms with its collaboration with the Nazi regime during World War II. As the Vienna Philharmonic performs a series of concerts in New York, how should audience members process this information? Here to discuss, three experts. James Astrike, retired classical music editor of the New York Times. Joel Bell, who is chairman of the Schumir Foundation for Ethics in Leadership, which is presenting a three-part series of panels on Vienna's history. And on the line, we have Joshua Cosman, the classical music critic at the San Francisco Chronicle. So let's take this in two parts, which may end up overlapping, starting with the World War II revelations. James A. Strike, give us a quick summary of what the Vienna Philharmonic did last year to sort of mitigate its actions in the Nazi era. Yeah, there were a series of leaks of information that happened around the new, famous New Year's concert uh, in Vienna. Uh, which the orchestra plays every year. The orchestra plays uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day every year, and they're televised uh, internationally. And some information started coming out about a ring, a ring of honor, that the orchestra had bestowed on Baldur von Schirach, uh, who had been governor of Vienna from 1940 to 1945. And Schirach was uh, imprisoned for war crimes in Spandau, and uh, somewhere in the course of that imprisonment, apparently, he lost the ring. And so all of that might have been past history, except that it came out around that time that the orchestra had sent an emissary to Chirac to give him a replacement ring. They had one made, and they gave it back to him. And this was about 1966 or 1967. So then the question is, what was the Vienna Philharmonic doing replacing an honor for uh, someone who had been tried for war crimes, who had been uh, responsible for having thousands and thousands of people shipped out of Vienna to Auschwitz and other places? Then the orchestra, in the wake of all this bad publicity, decided it would take the horn in its hand and deal with it itself. So it appointed three independent, said to be independent at least, historians to uh, do a thorough study of all that had gone on in the Nazi era and since relating to the issue. And are we now getting the full picture? Well, they published their study last March, and I think from what I've been able to determine, we are getting pretty much the full picture of, of what went on there. Some of the people who did the leaking of the instrument information were members of the Green Party. The Green Party is its a left liberal party. The Green Party is still uh, trying to push the Vienna Philharmonic very hard, saying all the information can't be out there yet, uh, although there are no specifics they're talking about. But they're also carrying it into a new realm, which is uh, the whole era of things that have, were looted during the war that may be in the possession of what we're going through. A lot of this with German art these days, or art from Germany, uh, everywhere. But 
the question of provenance of some of the holdings of the orchestra, the, the instruments and, and other things. So the Greens are still pushing very hard to uh, have more investigation done and open up new areas of investigation. But I think in terms of what actually happened during the wartime period, we're, we pretty well know it, I hope. <laughs> Joel, the Schumer Foundation is hosting a very warts and all symposium on Vienna, the great cultural legacy, and also the bleaker aspects of Viennese history. Why are you doing this? Well, principally because having a lot of interest in the cultural output of Austria historically and a a fan of the orchestra and uh, the art uh, and culture of Austria... Having a lot of friends there uh, that I value, but having read history, I too was troubled about coming to terms with this past. The perspective was still more of a blaming and a, uh, a criticism that I thought was both disproportionately focused on the orchestra and perhaps no longer fair uh, if it had been historically in that I think while they cannot mitigate history. History is not going to change. The action item is what you do today. That they were, I thought, being uh, forthcoming. They were willing to be forthcoming. And I put it to the test by sending a message to Clemens Helsberg, the chairman and the violinist in the orchestra, saying that uh, here's what I thought they ought to be dealing with. And it was a rather blunt and very candid statement of the issues I thought they had to address. And Clemens, to his credit, Uh, responded by saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, would you really do this? And I had defined at that time three issues, one which was the ethical use of art, secondly, the issue that Jim has focused on, which was you cannot reconcile with the past, you cannot heal if you're not willing to first disclose. And so a willingness to disclose, a willingness to then talk about it, a willingness to not forget, not disclose once and walk away, but to continue to remember. Do you think they're really interested in talking about this honestly now? Do you think this is possible? I'm convinced that it is both possible and happening. I did not meet any resistance to that rather blunt approach. Joshua Cosman, I want to bring you into this. You have written about the Vienna Philharmonic. What do you think took them so long to acknowledge their past ties with the Nazis. Uh, Presumably orchestras like the Berlin Philharmonic had to go through this process and have done it a while ago. That's a good question. I'm not really sure I, you know, I know what, what the process is. I think there's a series of turnovers in in personnel that have to happen. I think that as we get further away from history, uh, from the history that we're talking about, it becomes easier or more palatable to take a somewhat impersonal view so that there's a an institutional reckoning, but that doesn't have to be necessarily a personal reckoning. But the other issue that you mentioned in your opener is one that I've written about a couple times, and I want to just add that to the mix here because I'm struck by how easily it gets shunted to the side, and that is the issue of female and minority players in the orchestra. This has been an ongoing issue with the uh, Vienna Philharmonic for a very long time, and one that I've been surprised not to see any discussion of or any reckoning of. 
Joel, you said it, you gave the subject matter for your symposium and for your discussions. That didn't come up for you at all about the question of what it means for an orchestra to be so exclusively composed of white male musicians. And I'm not sure I have any answers to those, but I'm surprised that it doesn't seem to merit any discussion. I think in fairness, it merits discussion, and it's not a judgment on its importance. Uh, it wasn't on our immediate agenda. I think it, it's something worth talking about. I, I didn't but, mean to impugn your, your yeah. planning in any way. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I understand. And we will get to that, but I, I think, oh, Jim okay, Astrag, I think you had something you wanted to say to the first point that yeah, the, Josh the, made. The issue of how the Vienna Philharmonic's attitude toward its past changed, in a, in mm-hmm. a sense, uh, is very much a part of the larger issue of how Austrian views have changed over the years. And that started around the Waldheim era, I think, in the late 80s. Then I think the tide began to turn. Until that point, uh, and this is not true in Germany, and this is why the Berlin Philharmonic didn't have to go through something like this, up to that point, the whole Austrian mentality was that they were the first victims of Hitler. They weren't the, the troublemakers at the time. It was, it was the Germans. So they lived, uh, I don't know how comfortably, but relatively comfortably with that notion, I think, for, for a long time, into the 80s. And then the entire tide began to shift, I think. In the first Schumer Foundation panel, looking at the roots of anti-Semitism in Vienna, at one point it apparently came up that 50% of the musicians in the Vienna Philharmonic became card-carrying members of the Nazi party in the 1930s. Now, these were clearly educated people, not poor or marginalized members of society. Why do you think this was? Was it political expediency, like Mahler converting in order to be able to conduct in Vienna? You have to understand that in the aftermath of the First War, there was a sentiment in Austria that they had gone from being a, an empire of 52, 53 million to a country of 7 million, a country that no one wanted. And there were significant strains, significant political tensions within the country in favor of a pan-German alliance, in favor of an Anschluss. And so there was a Nazi party uh, that developed uh, quite strongly in the interwar period before the Anschluss. And converts or people seeking to be part of a broader alliance are sometimes more zealous than the, mm-hmm. the members of that culture itself. Okay. And so you had a, a strong momentum uh, in the country for that to happen. Secondly, in Germany, the Berlin Philharmonic was, uh, became an operating division, effectively, of the propaganda mm-hmm. ministry. It was run and controlled that way. The Vienna Philharmonic was actually infiltrated in a different way. It was controlled not by being taken over by the propaganda ministry, but by being infiltrated by membership. Mm of the Nazi party, both Austrian and with German influence as well. When the Nazi honors, the Vienna mm-hmm. Philharmonic revoked those Nazi honors, Jim, yes. New York Magazine's Justin Davidson tweeted, dodging the present by correcting the past, which seems to be referring to the Vienna Philharmonic's hiring practices, specifically, as we had mentioned. The fact that there are so few full-time women and hardly any ethnic minorities in the orchestra. What is your reaction to this dodging the present by correcting the past? Well, my reaction to the, on that issue, uh, when I hear Americans talk about it, is that 
what are we doing to get blacks in American orchestras? You will not find a major American orchestra that has more than one or two or three at most blacks. And this has been going on for years and years and years. And uh, I don't see any any uh, other than the Sphinx, uh, Sphinx Foundation, which is uh, it was formed specifically for the purpose of promoting uh, blacks and la- Latinos. Um, I don't. I don't hear a lot of uproar about that. I would say there's a reason for that, which well, is there are the, reasons the, for all of these things, of course. <laughs> well, yes, but uh, there are different reasons. I mean, the reason that there are so few blacks in American orchestras is because there are so few blacks coming out of uh, American conservatories, which is because there are so few blacks going into the conservatories, which is because of the state of uh, music education that uh, underserves blacks among other people it's a supply problem there's not a, there's not an analogous supply problem for ethnic minorities in european orchestras particularly for asian musicians as you can tell by comparing the roster of the vienna Phil with any other uh, comparable Ameri- uh, european orchestra rather every other orchestra seems to have no trouble locating and hiring asian musicians of uh, the requisite uh, skill I don't know where it stands now, but I was in Prague, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, and there was not one person who was not of Czech or Slovak origin. And the reason there is because the pay was paltry, and international musicians were not going to Prague to play because the pay was so bad. They were making the equivalent of about $5,000 a year at that time. Um, so uh, it isn't true that every European orchestra is diverse. The Vienna Philharmonic is more diverse in terms of women than it used to be. Four, Slowly. four members, four... Yeah. No, there are more like ten. Well, no, there are only yeah. four tenured members, uh, female members of the Vienna okay. Philharmonic at this point. Uh, I checked the roster yesterday, and hmm. it's actually interesting. The orchestra officially started accepting women in 1997, and they now say that their auditions are blind. But when you look at the roster, you talk about mm-hmm. the Czech Philharmonic, I would say 90-some percent of the orchestra members are, interestingly enough, from the former Austro-Hungarian Empire mm-hmm. or Germany. So are these auditions really blind? I don't think anyone's auditions are blind down to the last... Uh, generally, they're blind until the last round. So That's I, correct, in my understanding, too. Yeah, And it is true of Vienna. Jim, if I can just uh, push you on this a little bit, uh, are you? Is your position on this that there's nothing the matter with no. the Vienna Philharmonic? No, I think they're moving too slowly. Or that it's everything is, or that there are, it is problematic, but no one in America has standing to say so. Uh, I think people in America should be very careful when they say things like that. I, of course, there's a problem. Well, uh, who has I, standing to say so? If Americans should keep it to themselves, well. Americans can do what they want, I guess. It, it no. seems to me there's also a question of how fast one can achieve mm-hmm. change if one has tenured people and you have to wait for a vacancy. If you want to maintain standards of quality and sound uniformity or what have you, how quickly can you transform a long li- long-lived institution like a, an orchestra? How quickly would you expect to see other ethnicities and Well, and, we're going on... As, as, I think the answer to that is as slowly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going on two decades now, if it was in 1997 that they started accepting women, and there is still the question of minorities in the orchestra. I mean, there's no question that, and I think Jim is right to, on this point, that we bring a kind of 
uh, America-centric view of how things ought to be when we talk this way, and and perhaps there's a sort of uh, ethical imperialism going on in in which we're trying to impose American ideas of fairness and and uh, equality on uh, organizations that don't uh, share those kinds of values, and and that's fine. I, I you know I certainly don't want to stand in the position of of imperialism, but it would be worth it, I think, if at least these matters were openly discussed, and if representatives or advocates for the Vienna Philharmonic would say, yeah, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, we're going to continue doing it this way, deal with it. But instead, there's a kind of shuffling and and evasiveness. I think, you know, Justin Davidson is quite right in his tweet. I didn't see that, but there's a continual refusal to even engage with the questions and the ethical questions that this raises. Refusal on whose part? On the part of anyone who's who who takes the position that there's nothing the matter here. No, no, um, but I don't think anyone's taking that position. I, th- I think it's a question uh, well, of uh, an institution trying to evolve, and I think it is genuinely trying to evolve. And how quickly you can evolve rather than revolt. <laughs> I don't think anyone is taking the position that there's nothing wrong with this. Am I wrong? No, I think I agree entirely with Jim. I think there is. I, I don't find a, a, a reluctance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I find a struggling with the balancing of mm-hmm. quality and speed of change to achieve what one would like to see as an end result, uh, but without jeopardizing tradition and, and quality, et cetera, in the process. And it's a, it's a, it's a long-term uh, change that you, that you need, particularly if you have, I don't know, how many vacancies have they had in that 20-year period and how many of those vacancies have been filled by women is perhaps more the question. Not just how women, many but women also minorities. There, or minorities, yeah. yes. Yeah. Then, then what it represents as a percentage of the total population of uh, membership. Do you think there are music lovers who are boycotting Vienna Philharmonic concerts because of their record with women and minorities? I don't see them protesting anymore en masse uh, outside events, but that that was certainly happening uh, 10 and that 20 was, years that ago. That was 10 or 20 years ago in New York, am I right, Jim? Yes, yes. There were protests uh, yeah. uh, for the concerts. Yeah, and and that's why you, you know to say that that this isn't being discussed or that critics aren't taking it up every time they write. Uh, you'll see in tomorrow's paper that Tony Tomasini said that uh, there were ten women on stage yesterday. Uh-huh. It's, it's brought up. Al- I mean, <laughs> almost every time we we write about the NFL and Philharmonic, that the, the issue comes up. We're not banging a drum every time on it, but but it's it certainly is discussed. Is the Vienna Philharmonic really that good that we keep talking about this because they're a fantastic orchestra, or is it the sound, or is it... They are a fantastic orchestra. If they were the Prague Prague Philharmonic, maybe the issues wouldn't be that pressing. But And I think we should ask the question as to whether the current selection process is biased uh, or not. If the current selection process is not, then it's a time issue. Mm. If the current selection process is biased, then it's a an issue that needs intervention. Mm. Uh, but if it's not biased, then I, I think, uh, in fairness, one has to understand that these things take time, as Jim said. An optimist might say that the efforts to acknowledge the Nazi past might be the start of a larger effort to reform the orchestra. Josh, you think that's possible? I, I am that optimist. <laughs> I am I am greatly hopeful that one self-examination leads or, or is connected with another and with many, and uh, one can only hope. Thank you very much, all of you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We will continue to watch this. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were New York Times writer Jim Astrike, San Francisco Chronicle critic Joshua Cosman, and Joel Bell, chairman of the Schumer Foundation for Ethics and Leadership. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening. <laughs>